All right, welcome to episode six of All the Best Craft Banter. Uh, exciting episode. We have Alberta Beer Week coming up October 15th to the 23rd with exciting things happening. Uh, Unity Brew is launching. We'll have a session IPA available at tap rooms and several restaurant and liquor store partners throughout the province. Um, our website will have a map letting you know where you can find those on tap and in cans. So check that out, look out for that. And one exciting event that will be coming up among the many is Freshtival, which is gonna be happening at Commonwealth in Red Deer. So today we're speaking to the president of the Hops Producers Association and also with Underground Hops, Denise Warner. So stay tuned for that. Gives us a little bit of insight as to what Freshtival is, what it's gonna be, what they're gonna talk about. Um, I'll be guest judging, so uh, I have a vested interest in everyone attending, and you can get a better idea of what a fresh hop brew is. Uh, really exciting and interesting stuff going on in the hops production in Alberta. We are also speaking to the um, Brewers Association Chief Economist, Bart Watson, as well as ATB Financial President and Chief Economist, uh, Todd Hirsch. So they're giving us some insights to the brewing industry, not only here in Alberta, but kind of overall trends in North America. So we asked them a couple of questions that were provided by our members, but um, lots of really great information they have to share with us today as well. So stay tuned for that. Well, the festival will be held the 21st to the 24th at Commonwealth Brewing in Red Deer. Uh, on the Thursday night, we'll have all the beers there, and we're going to have a panel of judges, not necessarily BJCP judges, but a panel of judges to judge judge the fresh hop beers for us. So we have two categories of beer this year, uh, the fresh hop, the full fresh hop, and the fresh hop plus dry hop. So the fresh hop beer should be a little bit lighter, and then the other beers will be whatever style they have they've decided upon when they put their additional hops in it. <laughs> and so how many breweries do you have signed up to participate at this point? Uh, we have at least 10, 10 fresh hop brews coming. That's amazing. And that's mostly Alberta or is it from Saskatchewan and BC as well? Or No, all Alberta. All Alberta. Yeah, awesome. all Alberta. Um, in order to have a fresh hop beer, you have to be able to take the hops off the plant and get them into the beer within a matter of hours. Oh, so wow. it's really unique to actually to be able to have fresh hop beers because there's a lot of places that don't have the breweries and the hop yards super close to each other. And with a lot of the big hop growers, they just can't can't um, provide that fresh hop to their local grower, to their local brewers. So it is kind of a, a unique beer that we're able to have in Alberta, which is really neat. That's very cool. And I know I've asked this of hops producers before, but the types of hops that we are able to produce in Alberta, what generally are those? We actually have 20 varieties of hops growing in Alberta right now. Okay. <laughs> That's more than I realized. <laughs> yeah. No. So you all, you have your big seeds, your Cascades, your Centennials, and your Chinooks. We have um, some really obscure hops. We have some Sriracha Ace. We have a little bit of Pacific Gem, Southern Cross. There's Mount Hood. So there's, there is actually 20 different varieties, mostly early season to mid-season. And none of the proprietary hops or the trademarked hops, obviously, we can't grow those. But uh, yeah, we have, a, we have a huge variety. And a lot of our hop yards have hit that fourth year hop now, the fourth year plant. And so the hops are mature and they are good. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, even within the Alberta Beer Awards, which will be happening the night before festival starts, um, we have the All Alberta Malt and Hops category this year for the first time too, because hops in Alberta are, are able to actually provide enough product at this point that we can do that. So it's really exciting. Yeah, for sure. And next year, there should be a lot more beers in that category because we have more pelletizing and more processing uh, available in Alberta now. So there will be a lot more pelletized hops available, which is what the brewers are really looking for. Sure. Like you said, you don't have to get it into a brew within hours. So it makes a big difference. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, like the alternative is just a whole cone, but they don't like to use it because it's a little bit messy and it takes up a lot of space. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like brewing in general is a little bit messy to start with. So yeah, anything you could do to mitigate that is not a bad, I think, not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And so of all the hops produced, that's a lot. So how many hops producers are there in Alberta or that are part of the um, Hops Producers Association at this point? I think we are up to 12 growers now. Um, Acreage-wise, it's still not that many acres because each hop farm is quite small. Um, but hops are a lot of work. And so to grow too big too fast is just just too much. So there we're still in the stages of of learning whether this crop will well, we have we're past the stage of learning what the crop will survive. It definitely will survive. And now we're finally able to be able to provide enough hops that the brewers can incorporate Alberta hops into their rotations, into their seasonal beers, and even into their key beers, because we'll be able to produce enough for them to have access to a certain variety to fulfill their or hop needs. That's amazing. And so kind of on that vein, and you can answer if you want or don't answer, don't want to give any secrets away. That's cool too. Um, But what's in store for hops production in Alberta? Is there anything that brewers should be aware of going forward? Well, not that I know of. Okay, that's fair. No, not that that I know of. We're just... We're we're all like still learning, a little bit flying by the seat of our pants, but uh, it's been a it's been a good few years to learn, even though it's been a pandemic. Uh, we've had a chance to to experience a few different weathers over the last couple of summers, and so we know that no matter what the weather does, the hops will survive, they'll produce, and they will always be there. Perfect. And so, if breweries want to get on the wait list or start ordering Alberta's hops. Is there a place that they can go to find you guys or is it reaching out to individual producers throughout the province, kind of dependent on what they're looking for or what the capabilities are? Or is there a central location that they could go to? They can find all of our producers on our website, but we have left the the individual um, relationships between the brewers and the growers for them to develop themselves. Um, because, yeah, everybody has a different variety. And so your brewer will search out a variety. Or that they would like to try or a variety that they already use. And so we're just leaving it up to individual growers and brewers to, to work those things out. Totally fair. But they can go to your website to figure out who those producers are. Yeah, exactly. We're all listed there. Perfect. All right. And so for Freshable, is there a general consumer portion of it that people who are just beer enthusiasts can go to and take part in? Well, the upstairs of Commonwealth, are you familiar with Commonwealth? I haven't actually been there yet. Okay. I know I know it via Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So the upstairs will be completely freshable. And then we'll also have beers on tap downstairs. So you can come upstairs and you can try the fresh beers. We're actually going to have a corner of uh, for HPA, for the Alberta Hops Producers Association, to answer questions about hops in Alberta and to have a couple of raffles, a little swag. And you'll see the decorations around. You'll see hop wreaths and uh, like hop vines draped on stuff. So 
You'll be able to see some actual hops. We'll have some like smelling kits, basically. So I have some, I have some hops that have been dried and you can take a smell of them and see what uh, like a hop smells like outside of a beer. So it'll be really interesting. There'll be a lot to talk about, about hops in Alberta. Perfect. That sounds great. So for anyone who's kind of interested in learning more about the products that go into their beer, they can go to festivals from the 21st to the 24th. Yes. Perfect. And links to that? The links are on the Commonwealth website and will be on our Alberta Hops Producers website as well. All right. I think that's all I have to ask. Is there anything else you can think you might want to add in there? Hmm. Well, not really, but... I just guys keep your eye on Alberta hops. Like we're growing. Thank you guys both so much for joining us today. And um, we're looking forward to figuring out what our members can begin looking forward to uh, coming out of COVID and what their next year or so might look like. So start with a big broad question. Are we seeing any interesting trends in brewing since March of 2020? And maybe Bart, we'll start with you. Sure. Well, we're seeing lots of interesting trends. Obviously, the last 18 months has been one of the most unique and challenged times in, in recent history, if not a lot of history. Um, and the biggest, I think, has just been the, the huge channel shift that's occurred. So when you look at the you know, consumption data for beverage alcohol, for beer, for craft beer, um, what it shows is that people really didn't change how much they they drank during the pandemic, but they radically changed where they drank it. So we saw, you know, in general, bars and restaurants, those sales were, were, were crushed as people, you know, either because of order or because of their own personal preferences chose to stay home more um, in the face of the pandemic. And that meant that package store sales, grocery stores and convenience stores went up a lot. And this channel shift in general was really challenging for a lot of small brewers who many of whom built their, their models even direct at their tap room or brew pub or via distributed draft. Um, so that's been the biggest shift we've seen. And then there's been a lot of other shifts that have flown you know, down from that bigger kind of macro shift we've seen. Great. And so same question to you, Todd, but maybe more on a fully business, small business kind of scale. Yeah, well, it really depends what province or, or, or U.S. state that you're looking at, because as we've moved through COVID in 2021, we've seen different reopening schedules of uh, restaurants, pubs, uh, breweries. You know, here in Alberta, when things opened up in July, I think we were one of the first jurisdictions in Canada to kind of, you know, open up everything. Uh, now, here we are uh, uh, early October, and I think we're finding out that was uh, premature. So Alberta is now taking a step back and having to uh, reimpose some uh, restrictions on, on bars and restaurants and pubs requiring the vaccination. But regardless of where you are across North America, I think from a business perspective, they're still struggling with it, right? They're still struggling with, um, you know, lower than normal um, traffic coming into the bars and pubs, at least a lot of them. I know a lot of them are struggling with labor shortages. They just can't get their workers back. Uh, and I know, again, here, I can sort of only really speak for what's happening here in Alberta, but my suspicion is it's repeated across the country that a lot of restaurants and, and pubs, you know, they, they actually can't be open every day or they can't actually allow, um, you know, their restaurant to be full because they just don't have staff. So economically, this is a real challenge for uh, the restaurants, uh, the brewers and, and, the, and the bars and pubs that would be 
normally at this time of year, uh, kind of looking for some, some good traffic. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, I've heard that from a lot of our members and the mountain towns resort areas are especially hard hit, it seems. So hopefully we're able to come out of that. And as ski season picks up, they can find attract a few more people out there to take advantage of ski season at the same time or something. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and Bart, you kind of mentioned in your answer the shift of where people drink. Do you think that that might lend itself to an increase in the craft market increasing? In the long run, it, maybe it could. Um, you know, in the short run, what we saw is that for, for most craft brewers, that was tough because it shifted away from the places they were strong, you know, bars and restaurants or, or their own tap rooms and brew pubs, and into things which you know, craft brewers traditionally haven't done as much of, you know, like package product and, and broader distribution. Now, that's not to say that some craft brewers didn't benefit, you know, the ones that had that scale and already did that. Um, but certainly it wasn't the forte of a lot of craft brewers going in. I think in the longer run, it, it presents more of an opportunity, you know, more brewers entered, entered packaging for the first time. And, you know, I think are, are learning that business and, and seeing new channels in which to sell their beer. So, you know, there may be some silver linings out of those pivots in the pandemic. Um, but in the short run, you know, this was a, a shift that was challenging for many brewers because you build your business model one way and then the world changes overnight and, and it takes time to catch up with those changes. Kind of to that point, um, and hopefully you both have some insights here for those breweries who went from the taproom only model to having to do packaged products. Is there anything that they should be considering now that they've, they've shifted their business model? And once we can operate without that uncertainty again, do they look at going back to a taproom only model or do they stay with packaged product? What would you maybe see as the smarter business move? I think it's really going to depend on the business and you know the demand that they've seen for those packaged products. And what they start to see is that tide flows back. You know, the channel shift we've seen is is going to come back over time. Um, you know, there are going to be changes in things like to go and delivery that are sticky and, you know, consumer behaviors that have now built into habits and people buying things in new ways. Um, but brewers need to be watching carefully because just because they had that growth doesn't mean it's going to come back now. It may still make sense to be in that market. They may have found an untapped source of consumer demand that they didn't know existed. But that's one that, that brewers should be testing. They should be watching the numbers. And particularly, you know, if they're if they're moving from a mobile canner to installing their own canning line or, you know, or packaging line, you know, before they take on that level of debt, you know, really testing those numbers and being sure that that investment's going to be one that pays off in the long run, not just for the next six months or a year. And I guess I would maybe add to that. Yeah, sort of adding to it again from the economic perspective during the both the summer of 2020 and 2021, when, you know, we weren't able to travel as much as we would have liked. It kept a lot of people at home uh, or very close around, you know, within Alberta. I think that gave a lot of the breweries, um, the the small breweries, uh, uh, an advantage in, in, you know, being able to showcase their product. Because all of a sudden, people are spending more time in smaller towns they never even knew existed before and found out that there's a really great, you know, brewery here, a brew pub. The the challenge now for those breweries will be to um, remain in contact or or at least uh, retain those those customers and remind them of, you know, so they don't forget uh, all the the great uh, products that are available right here in your backyard. You don't need to... uh, um, even once we do start traveling again internationally, and, and certain people will, they're they're eager to. 
but that they don't forget. Actually, we have some great breweries right here in our own backyard in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And this kind of plays to that point, but um, Todd, you're probably going to have a little more insights here just because Alberta is the only market in Canada where any product from anywhere else can easily register here and be sold here, whereas Alberta's products have a much harder time getting on the shelves in other Canadian provinces, often finding it somewhat easier to go into the state. So I'm curious from an economist's point of view, what would you say is the greatest benefit to the Alberta industry and the Canadian market in removing any of those barriers? Well, I mean, I've been an economist in this province for I don't know how long, 30 years, and and, and probably all of that 30 years, uh, the restrictions in uh, the sale of alcohol has been a real irritation. I remember in 1990, the premiers of all provinces got together, in 91 it was, and signed the agreement on internal trade, which was, you know, supposed to do away with all these barriers to uh, the free flow of of goods and services across provincial boundaries and they signed it and they all went home and then, you know, kind of nothing happened or it's been very, very slow in making it happen. My understanding is that a few things is uh, particularly for wine has been, uh, they have been lightened up, um, but the restrictions on selling beer, you know, this is still a major challenge that uh, the breweries I think will have to, you know, maybe redouble their efforts. Once we kind of get past again, COVID right now, governments, the only thing on their mind right now is, is getting us through this. Mm-hmm. But once we are kind of through it, I think uh, there is a challenge for the breweries to, uh, to make those petitions to governments and saying, you know, we, we, we want to lighten up on uh, all of these rules and regulations that restrict uh, the movement of beer because we do want to get our product uh, into consumers across the country. Here's hoping. <laughs> Here's definitely, hoping. It's definitely something we're actively working on. So hopefully. All right. Um, maybe we can shift into a bit more forward looking. And Bart, I'll start with you. Uh, we had a member reach out and provide a question for today's podcast. So some of your data from the Brewers Association, um, industry growth stats get skewed when large craft breweries are bought out by multinationals. So what does the growth of the industry look like adjusted for this? Or what do current industry stats look like without the largest 10 craft breweries? Yeah, so the first thing I'd say is that you know we're very careful when uh, a company is acquired and ex- exits our small and independent data set to make sure that those growth numbers are apples to apples so that they don't get skewed. So um, when you know Anheuser Busch buys a brewery and, and they're removed from the data set, you know the growth numbers we're presenting are the same set of breweries year over year, so you don't get skewed by that. Um, you know that said, the the collective volume owned by um, you know large multinational breweries now. Um, that, that doesn't exist in our data set, but uh, would be considered for flavored beer is, is probably eight to nine million barrels at this point. Um, so would raise the, the market share in that, you know, four to four to five points in um, the United States, where uh, we do things in barrels in the U.S., so roughly 200 million barrel uh, beer market. Um, and, you know, what does the current industry stats look like without the largest, you know, 10 craft breweries? You know, certainly it would be, um, you know, much lower share. Um, I'm not going to get the the exact percentage off the top of my head, but you know the the top 50 has um, in the past been rough, roughly two thirds of craft brewery volume, and that that's driven heavily still by um, by the top 10. So you know if you pulled out those those barrels, it would be much smaller. And you know that just that's a, I think a good 
summary of the kind of whole distribution of craft um, in both the U.S. and Canada, which is very, very top heavy as the overall brewing market is. Um, you know, 75% of the breweries in the U.S. you know still make uh, up about a half a percent of the U.S. beer market. You know, when you add them all together, um, and, and Canada is similar where you have this long tail. So um, it would change the stats, stats dramatically without that top 10 because they're driving a, a large chunk of the volume. That makes sense. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I think that's the only question we got from membership. So hopefully my questions are good enough. Um, so I guess also forward-looking and what our members have to look forward to, and uh, you may be looking at this as well in the state, but... Um, Okay, actually, sorry, this one is from Redshed as well. How has the drought impacted supply and how much maltsters need or how the feed industry and export market has and will adjust? And Todd, maybe we'll start with you. Yeah, well, there's no question the summer of 2020 was not ideal for mm -hmm. uh, growing conditions, either in the U.S. or Canada. Uh, drought conditions, I don't know the numbers in the States, I'm sure they're similar. But, uh, you know, barley production in Canada down by more than a third from where it was uh, previously. And that's a huge hit because uh, that is sending prices sky high. For those breweries, you know, again, it all sort of depends on each individual brewery and their business model. And I'm, I'm not close enough to the brewing industry uh, to understand what portion of their cost comes from barley, but it's got to be significant. And when those prices are high, um, it depends on the profit margins for each of those individual companies. Some of them, I'm sure, are going to be really challenged by it. If they're able to pivot in some way, maybe um, go to a, a less intense barley uh, variety, maybe a wheat ale, I don't know, even wheat prices, although are high as well for the same reason for the drought. But, uh, you know, bottom line, it's it's going to be a tough uh, a slog for some of those breweries, especially the ones who are already seeing very, very thin margins as their costs or inputs uh, escalate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in and add that the U.S. market did look very similar, uh, production down about a third. Um, and, and the Canadian production is a you know, the lion's share of the North American market. So Canada produces about 75% of North American barley. Um, and then we saw similar, you know, weather conditions, hot and dry in, in both primary barley growing regions, both the U.S. Um, and in Canada. Um, the other thing for, for maltsters and, and for brewers to look out for is not just a smaller crop, but a, a quality challenge crop with, you know, initial protein levels that are about two points higher. Um, so I think the average analysis of Western Canada was 13.6, up from more like 11.8. Uh, last year in protein levels. So that's going to pose challenges for brewers as they use that malt next year in beers, just from a, a quality perspective. And hopefully we'll get a, a big crop in, in 2022 to, to solve some of this. Mm -hmm. So that kind of leads me to two other questions. Um, obviously, we'll have to look at importing product. So is there any concern for next year or in the next couple of years where you have a, something happen similar to, I think it was after like World War II and they had shortages where that actually got a lot of craft breweries. It forced them to close just because they weren't able to produce their products. So is, are we at that level? Is that a concern or is it something that likely can be mitigated if you do, as, as you said, Todd, kind of restructure what product you're putting out more or look at different avenues maybe to supplement your your income. I don't I'm not too sure what the best way to go about it would be, but yeah, that's my question. Yeah. 
Well, and, and it's a fantastic question, and it's a big issue, and not just in the brewing brewing industry, but all industries, supply chains, global supply chains have not snapped back as quickly as what we maybe would have hoped. I mean, we're 18 months into COVID. Um, we're in the fourth wave, but supply chains have not, uh, they've not returned. So I think it's still too early to tell. I think we'll be able to uh, early 2022, and we're only, what, less than three months away from that now. Early next year, I think we'll be um, we'll have a better idea on how quickly supply global supply chains will repair themselves. I expect that they will. Um, although if there's one thing that COVID has taught us is, you know, anything could happen, but assuming that early in 2022 global supply chains start to rebuild, they start to repair. I don't think we're snapping back real quick to pre COVID global supply chains, but I, I do think that they will improve. That should ease some of the pressure on um, sort of securing that uh, import of barley, uh, which will help price and and supply. I mean, I, I would, would add that barley is a global market, so hopefully, you know, other, other crops are looking better and, and there will be import possibilities. And, you know, this is one, you know, unlike some other supply chain disruptions that brewers have faced, you know, such as aluminum cans, where we don't have the the shock on demand as well, you know, that we're still looking for the same amount of barley. So um, hopefully that means that imports will be able to be a solution. Whereas with cans, where there was, you know, increased demand globally, you couldn't necessarily just look abroad uh, to, to fill the gap. So, um, you know, hopefully it will be a, a short-term thing and normally there's enough carryout to, to cover at least, you know, some variation in crop size. So um, I'm hopeful that, you know, that with, a smaller crop and quality issues that brewers still will be able to make it through. And we're already seeing signs of, of larger contract prices and more planting for next year. And kind of on the same raw materials, I actually just read this morning that because of the fires in Western U.S., the hops product or hops um, crop this year is going to be affected. Is that a large issue that you guys are paying attention to? From what I've heard, Alberta hops have, have gone really well this year. So we've got a good a good crop and our market here is growing, but uh, yeah, curious if you have any insights on that. So far, the U.S. hop crop looks like it's going to be, um, you know, fairly large and, and, and fairly good quality. Um, you know, we had some issues in the Pacific Northwest in the United States with heat and drought as well, but those areas tend to have better water access. And so we're able to irrigate uh, their way through many of these issues. There are a few varieties um, hearing reports of things like Citra and Idaho 7 that might have lower yields, but but in general, it um, seems like things are going pretty well. Um, the issue of smoke tain is one that we're still learning about. Um, you know, it's been long studied in wine grapes, but we never really have studied it because it wasn't much of an issue in hops. Um, so far, what we're seeing is that the levels are low um, and that, you know, brewers are able to deal with them and you can, you know, see, see the lots that are in there and set them aside. Um, but this is an area of, of further study, and I know there are researchers, for example, at UC Davis that are working to develop tests right now to, to discover levels, because we really don't even know how to measure uh, smoke taint and hops. So uh, unfortunately, this is an area that, that there's going to need to be more research, and hopefully in the next few years, we'll be able to quantify that level of smoke taint and then narrow in on which hops are still suitable for brewing and which maybe have to be set aside. Okay, interesting. So something to keep our eyes on at least. <laughs> I guess we'll move over to the data that we do have. Um, so we are doing benchmarking with our partner and sponsor, MNP. 
um, pretty comprehensive, but I'm curious what for future planning for breweries, for small businesses, would you most suggest they pay attention to from that data, given the current climate? Um, Todd, maybe we'll start with you. Well, I mean, there's always a lot, a lot of uh, things that any small business has to watch. But I think one of the things, uh, and I don't know how much of this comes out in the data, but I do think one of the things uh, they're going to be watching most closely is consumer disposable uh, spending or, and disposable income. Because things, especially like craft breweries, which not always, but may come with a little bit of a price premium, um, might be something that, uh, you know, if consumers are feeling their um, income is being pinched or they're having to make some choices around spending, you know, it might be one of the things that they um, cut back on. At the moment, I don't think that is the case, you know, in Alberta. Um, because we're not spending money on a lot of other things like international trips, people actually are spending money on things like, uh, and we saw throughout the both summers of 20 and 21, spending on things like, you know, patios and outdoor furniture, and which normally would be very um, discretionary. You know, people don't need to spend money on those things, but they happen. And I think craft breweries might fall into that. So that's, I think, one um, piece of economic data that, these small businesses want to follow very closely um, is keep an eye on what consumer discretionary spending is looking like. I think, I, I think internal to the breweries, you know, any benchmarking, um, you know, breweries should be looking at, at their costs relative to how, you know, aggregated costs are going up. Um, obviously the pandemic and supply chain disruptions have increased the cost of goods in many places. And I think the more that, Brewers are really benchmarking their own performance versus industry standards and understanding, you know, where maybe their costs have risen even more and they might have opportunities to uh, reel them in. Uh, you know, brewers watch their their production numbers, you know, very, very closely. But at the end of the day, you don't put how much you produce in the bank. You, you put, um, you know, your revenue minus your costs. And um, I think that, that that's one that, you know, if I was a brewer, I would be watching very closely right now and, and thinking about, too, whether those costs are, are structural and long term and I need to make changes to my business model or maybe they're more transitory. And hopefully after a year, these disruptions will go away and, and I don't have to worry about those in my bottom line. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, that's definitely something we pinpointed for our survey. So hopefully brewers do get a better idea in Alberta about what those costs actually are for the beer that they're producing, especially for their main lineup, right? Like those are the ones you can consistently measure against and seasonals are great. But yeah, the ones that you keep around all the time, I think that makes a big difference. Okay, perfect. Um, and then sticking with the data, um, I read an article in Forbes, I think earlier this week or last week about the Brewers Association, you guys did some benchmarking in diversity um, and you had changed how you did that data collection. So I'm curious if you share a bit of lessons learned. We're working with our national association, the Canadian Craft Brewers and doing some benchmarking. And I'm, I've brought it to our committee just saying this might be something we also need to pay attention to. So if you don't mind sharing some lessons learned on that, that would be great. Yeah, this might be a little bit of uh, inside baseball or inside statistics for a podcast, but uh, we did a recent um, benchmarking of brewery ownership by demographics, so by race, ethnicity, and gender. Um, and we had done that previously two years ago. And in doing so, I had gotten worried that you know we rely on a lot of surveys, as many associations do, but that that survey approach was bringing a response bias, that we were getting um, you know certain groups to answer at, at different rates than others. And 
you know, for something like this, that can really skew your, your results. If, you know, a, a certain group is, you know, forwarding the survey and so it's snowballing or, um, or whatever the issue is. So this time we, we took the approach of we randomly selected 500 breweries around the United States um, and we invited them to fill out the survey, but then we filled in the ones who didn't respond uh, with our own research. Uh, and that allowed us two things. One, it gave us this random 500 brewery look in totality. And it also allowed us to compare the breweries that responded to the ones that we had to do research on. And what we found there was pretty clear evidence of response bias, which is what we had feared that um, that non-white uh, people in particular were more likely to respond to the survey. Um, and so this was you know, uh, raising their percentage um, in the data when we did it as self-response uh, whereas, in fact, those percentages were lower um, in the full random sample that we had drawn. So um, a change in our numbers may, means that we can't necessarily compare to what's happened over the last two years. And I think most importantly showed us going forward that for this type of survey, if we want to get accurate results, we have to take this, this random survey approach. Mm -hmm. And so was this the first survey that you guys had done or have you been doing it over a few years and have kind of an idea of if improvements or changes are being made? Well, that was one of the goals. And so we did this two years ago in 2019, but unfortunately uh, we did it using the previous method. So it was an open response and anyone could respond. And because of that, and because of what we found this time around uh, the issues of response bias, I, I think it means we can't really compare. Um, so we can't know if there, there has been progress or not, which is unfortunate to you know, not be able to compare those two data points, but you know, to really be methodologically rigorous and make sure we're, we're actually looking at reality um, and not just making up stories in our head. Um, we're going to have to wait until the next time we do it in, in two years to really know how much the industry has changed and if there's been any progress. Mm -hmm. no, that makes sense. I feel like we all have to start somewhere and the small breweries, I feel like it's still a relatively new industry. So the fact that we're starting is is good. Like Regardless of how late it seems like we are to the game, I think the fact that we're starting is good. In stating diversity, I guess what I'm looking more at is you know, a diversity in ownership. So having more female owners, having more um, minority owners um, and people working within the industry as well. Is there a benefit to that? Oh, yes. Entirely a different sense of the word diversity, but <laughs> <Sorry>. absolutely. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, uh, cultural and uh, demographic and gender diversity. I think this is one of the things that not just Alberta, but we all have to get this right. Because if we don't get this right, there is an economic uh, imperative here. There's a lot of research that shows, for individual companies anyway, that the more socially and culturally diverse your business, um, the better you're going to be. And that's because what actually stimulates a lot of creativity and innovation is diverse viewpoints. And one of the best ways to get that is to have social and, gen and cultural diversity. Now, within provinces or within U.S. states, you know, if we do have more of that um, social and cultural inclusion at the business level, the same thing translates. You're going to have a more creative, innovative economy. It's not just the same people running the same old business models. You're bringing in new ideas, new perspectives, new cultural tastes, um, new cultural viewpoints. All of that is really, really beneficial. And there's more and more evidence by the minute that shows for businesses and economies that social and cultural diversity is a real benefit to the economy. So I'm curious, given Alberta's economy, you know, it's gone through ups and downs, it's changed a lot. 
year to year, and especially this last almost year and a half, two years, I guess, that we've been going through, um, it's, it's difficult to figure out what we should be looking for with the Alberta economy and what we might be able to expect. So I'm just kind of wondering what your overarching thoughts are and what maybe insights and ideas you can present and share with us. That's a fantastic question. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic question. And, you know, for those listeners who are in Alberta and maybe for those outside of Alberta, uh, you you might know that Alberta has traditionally struggled with the boom-bust economy uh, because of the dominance of our energy industry, uh, that it's, you know, boom and bust. And one of the one of the ideas to, to move off of that roller coaster is to diversify the economy. But I would argue it's not just diversity that you want, it's dynamism and uh, businesses that are thriving and doing well. Because you look at some other parts of the country, other provinces that economically underperform, um, they are actually more nicely diversified than Alberta, but their economy doesn't perform as well because it's not a particularly dynamic economy. So I would argue that, yeah, diversity, but diversity of your economy shouldn't be the end goal. It should be dynamism. Um, and that, I think, will will um, lead to that getting off that roller coaster, but also provide um, a solid, um, prosperous economy. And for every business, uh, regardless of what kind of product you're selling, and especially something like, you know, a craft brewery, um, a prosperous economy where people are employed, they're feeling confident about their jobs and their incomes. They're feeling confident about, you know, spending money on maybe a premium product. Um, really important for those businesses that uh, our economy is not just pro- not just uh, diversified, but dynamic. So perfect. Um, I think before I ask my last question, just put it out there. Is there anything that you um, want to touch on that I haven't asked or anything that you want to add to previous answers? Well, I guess the only only thing I, I do like to talk about is the importance of, in Alberta anyway, and I'm, I'm an Alberta economist, so I'm a bit Alberta-centric here, but, you know, food and beverage processing uh, is a really important piece of Alberta's economy. It's a really nice piece of, I talked a little bit earlier about the economic diversity. Um, so. We've been just thrilled watching over the last uh, decade or so uh, the, the small breweries uh, taking off in Alberta because this is now moving the needle. It, you know, it's, it's not just that. It's, it's a lot of other things, but it is helping move the needle on um, setting the stage for a more um, not just economically diverse, but dynamic and prosperous economy. So we think uh, small breweries are an important piece of that. Yeah, I'll just say first, thank you for for having me, and thanks to all of the Alberta Brewers who are Brewers Association members as well uh, listening. Appreciate having you as members. And you know, the second thing I'll say is, you know, the Alberta market is clearly a, a dynamic and, and fast growing one. And um, w- while I don't want to rain on on anyone's parade, you know, I'll just put in uh, the brewers' minds listening too that those trends can change fairly quickly. You know, as we saw in the overall U.S. growth numbers, that you know, the market matures, and and so brewers should. You know, enjoy the times of growth, but also be thinking ahead to a more competitive era, which is certainly coming. You know, we've seen this in every market as it develops, it, it reaches a more mature competitive point. And thinking about, you know, how their brewery and business is going to differentiate to continue to succeed and thrive um, in that more mature competitive era that that is inevitably coming. So um, 
well, it's not that the happiest note to close on. I think it's one that, you know, brewers always need to be thinking that kind of next step ahead because, um, you know, it's growth now, um, but that that can change quickly. And and when it does, brewers want to need to be prepared and, and ready for that, that maturing, which is going to come. No, I think that's great food for thought. And I think pretty much any business needs to be forward thinking. But yeah, definitely breweries are quite specific to what they do and what they enjoy doing. So definitely a good piece of advice there. So my last question, um, obviously this past year, our member breweries have been evaluating where they're spending their dollars. So figuring out where the value of an association is, is always something that's top of their mind and something that I and on my board of directors try to um, try to let them know, try to demonstrate. But what for you guys, and obviously Bart, you come from an association, what would you say is the value of the association? Well, I can start and just say that if you're not telling your story or having someone tell it for you, um, someone else is going to step in there and tell your story for you. Um, and so particularly in a regulated industry like beverage alcohol, having a strong voice, having a strong association is essential in, in telling the positives of the jobs, the economic you know, stimulus that, that small breweries bring and protecting against the threats um, since, you know, additional regulation or, or changes that can be detrimental to small business or breweries are always on the horizon. Um, so, you know, we've seen the value, not just the national level, but the state and provincial level of, of strong associations over the years. And I think many of the new breweries in the business take it for granted how many freedoms they have. And I know in a regulated market, it maybe doesn't seem like you have freedoms, but, um, you know, this is trended in a positive direction. And that's due to the work of, of associations, you know, like you have in Alberta. And I guess I'll just follow up with saying I'm always a big fan of uh, industry associations in, in, in all sorts of different sectors. You know, we are, as individual businesses, we are um, more than the sum of the parts when we can act in, uh, in our collective interests, especially in something like at the moment, uh, you know, the, the brewing industry. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about how important it's going to be to um, you know, convince governments that we have to get past these these barriers to trade. That's one really great example where an industry association um, speaks far more loudly than any one or even the sum of all of those, uh, you know, separate uh, businesses or breweries. So big fan of industry associations, and I love the work that uh, that you guys are doing. Great. Well, thank you guys so much. Really appreciate your time. Um, any other parting thoughts? Thanks. Not for me. No. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you again to our guests, Bart Watson, Todd Hirsch, and Denise Warner. Be sure to check out Freshival during Alberta Beer Week, uh, which is October 15th to the 23rd. Third. Also, watch out for Unity Brew that you can find at tap rooms and partners throughout the province. Again, you can go to alberta.beer for more information on events happening during Alberta Beer Week, where to find Unity Brew, and more about who members of the Alberta Small Brewers Association are. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.